morning. Uh, my name is Jason, and uh, I just wanted to introduce a new moment that we're going to be doing over the next several weeks, uh, and we're calling it Fresh Bread. So every week there's going to be a new leader from one of our discipleship huddles, uh, and they'll come up, just talk for a few minutes on what the Lord is teaching them uh, recently. So at the beginning of this year, I sensed that the Lord was telling me to increase our giving, which honestly was a tough ask at the time, and I was wrestling with God back and forth for a while. Uh, and I was looking at it from my human perspective, and I was asking God a bunch of questions. You know, we're already giving our 10%. We're, we already have everything allocated in our budget. Uh, we're really trying to pay off debt. Like, you know, why are you asking us to increase our giving, Lord? Um, and the funny thing is, it was only a half a percent increase, so he wanted us to go from 10% to 10.5. Uh, but it was still a lot. I continued to wrestle. And without fully understanding why, I knew that I needed to just take that step of faith. And so we obeyed, and he provided. It was pretty incredible, either through bonuses at work or other work opportunities or uh, random gifts. Uh, God has provided for us in really unique ways, for us to meet our budget, for us to be able to give. And uh, I, I don't know if this is related, but we got invited to go on a free cruise. So I guess moral of the story, increase your giving, and God gives you a free cruise, right? No. Uh, but ultimately what God showed me through that is that it, it wasn't a, a money issue or a budget or a numbers issue, but it was, a, it was a heart issue of obedience. And so was I going to be close-handed with God? Was I, was I not going to trust him with my finances? Or was I going to trust the God of the universe to provide? And if I can't trust God with, to provide for a half a percent increase, then I think the God I serve is pretty small, um, which isn't true. He's not a small God. It was interesting, too, because God brought it up again last week in one of my quiet times and one of my devotionals. So I want to just read Matthew 2, 9 through 11 really quickly. So it says, After the Magi heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So that's one of those verses that I've read probably a thousand times over, and, and this part never stuck out to me, that the first thing that the Magi do when they see Jesus is praise him and give him gifts. And that was really powerful to me and, and affirmed uh, what the Lord was telling me with giving. So whatever God is, is whispering to you about, I, I want to encourage you to, to obey him. Uh, if he's prompting you with giving like he was with us, it's probably not a money issue, it's probably a heart issue of, of obedience. If, uh, if he's trying to prompt you with spending more time with him, spending more time reading his word, spending more time in prayer, uh, it's honestly probably not a time issue, it's, it's probably a deeper heart of obedience. So whatever it is, um, I want to encourage you to, to step into that. Um, because I think God has, has fresh bread for all of us. So these Next several weeks, I don't want this to be just, you know, me talking at you or whoever it is after me, but um, I really want you to, to be open-handed with the Lord and, and ask what he has for you um, and step into obedience in that. So, thank you.
Good stuff. My name is Morgan. I get to help lead us in the ways of Jesus around here at Serve. And yeah, I love uh, just hearing from Jason. I love hearing some of the ways that God is speaking to him and challenging him and uh, taking him to new places. Um, yeah, I get the joyful privilege of getting to lead here. And I'm thankful for Jason's story because it really sets a trajectory for the new series that we're kicking off this morning. Uh, we are kicking off a series called Made for More, as you can see on the screen. And I'm particularly passionate about this area uh, because I believe what we are engaging over the next uh, five weeks, I sense deep pains across our country in. All right, I sense deep pain across the country, and there might even be some pain points here in the morning or in this room as well. Uh, if you don't know, Christianity is actually on the rise across the globe. Uh, over 13,000 people every single day are, are beginning to give their life uh, to Jesus for the first time each day after day, right? And yet, in the West, uh, there's definitely a decline of people who are following Jesus. Uh, the fastest religious growing population of our country are called the religious nuns. If you've ever heard of that terminology, it just means they don't identify as anything, right? If you ask them, what's your religion, your spiritual background, they would say, nothing, right? I don't have one, right? So that's termed now the religious nuns. And as uh, of 2007, that percentage of our country was 15%, uh, just in about 12 years, it's now around 20%. And that might not sound like a lot, but that's millions upon millions of people who are either walking away from faith for the first time or are just saying, man, you know what? I realized I actually didn't ever even have a faith that was my own. And so that currently is uh, the fastest growing religious population. And there are probably many reasons for that. And so we'll kind of dive into some of those today. Uh, but I also sense that there are pain points for us as well. And the pain points can sometimes be just simply uh, known as this. Sometimes maybe you've had seasons or maybe you're even in a season where you're like, is this really it? Like, is this what church is about? Like, is this what faith is about? Uh, you know, some of us might even feel like we're bored, like we show up to this place uh, and then we go home and then we do our Monday to Saturday and it's kind of rinse and repeat. And it's the sense of, is this really all there is? Uh, many of us might even, some of us might be excited about God and about our faith and about growing closer with God. Uh, and yet sometimes we may miss the point of like, do I have a sense of personal calling? Do I have a sense of personal mission in this thing that Jesus is doing in the world? How many of us know our gifts and our wirings and our talents and then are going and using those, unleashing those as sent people in our communities? So I would argue that one reason among many numerous complex factors that either some people are walking away from the faith entirely or at minimum are just bored and saying, is this it? I would say this, many of us have not yet seen or understood God's divine plan for the church and Many of us have not yet seen or understood our wiring or aren't yet equipped and unleashed in that calling and wiring. And I think because of some of those misses, we've simply become bored. And we've, some of us have even walked away for seasons or even longer than just seasons. Uh, and oftentimes we'll just try to find other purposes and meanings. The human heart creates meaning. We are purpose creators. We are created in the image of God and we are looking for story and narrative and we will link our lives to things that are important to us. There's no doubt. And I believe that many of us have missed some of the heartbeat of God and some of what he's doing. But what if we could begin to live out the reality that we're made for more? 
And so that's what we're going to set out to explore, at least in some parts, over the next five weeks, all right? So let's dive in together. If you've got a Bible, go ahead and throw that open to Ephesians. It's one of the letters that Paul wrote near the back end of the Bible. We're going to have words on the screen as well. For those who love roadmaps, I want to give you a roadmap. So here's where we're navigating this morning. We're going to be in Ephesians 4, getting a lot of that done, in three major sections. So unity is a major theme gifts, and then what, what is called a pest. And so we're going to unpack that this morning. And then maturity, all right? A little bit of background first, though, as we dive into Ephesians. It's one of the letters written by Paul, and it's unique among his letters. Uh, and it's really better seen as a sort of manifesto for the church. And when I say the church, I mean the big C church, anyone who calls Jesus Lord and Savior. It's unique in its style and in its scope. Uh, so yes, this letter circled around some of the house churches at Ephesus, uh, one of those cities there. Uh, but it also seems to have a broader application to all church, whereas some of the letters of Paul are very specific to that church. Like if you read the letters First and Second Corinthians, he talks to them in, in a much more specific way. Like, hey, you guys, like I know some specific challenges you're facing. Let me speak directly into those. Does that make sense? A lot of the letters of Paul are more geared that way. And Ephesians is not like that. It's a broader, uh, it's a broader letter and seems to have broader application. Uh, He spends the first three chapters, we're jumping into chapter four, but the first three chapters of Ephesians, there are no commands. And again, if you've read Paul, that's very rare. Um, He is basically speaking identity over them. He is reminding them of what God has done and what he's doing in the world. Uh, It's a very different letter. Everything else except there's one verse in there, chapter three, verse 13, where he asks them, so it's kind of a command, hey, don't be discouraged because of my sufferings. That's the only command for three entire chapters. And so it's a very different type of letter. Uh, I want to encourage you this week, check out those three chapters, like actually read through them. I think it's a great gift to be reminded of what God has done and your identity because he brings up these themes of chosenness and beloved and adopted and all the things that happen to you when you place your faith in the Lord Jesus. So check those out. But let's dive in now to chapter four. And he says, flowing out of all those things that God has done and all that he's inviting you into, he says in verse one, as a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. And so now he rattles off a bunch of commands. So I wanted to make sure you have that background because the order matters. Like one of the uniquenesses of the Christian faith is that God has already done everything for you. Uh, If you believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior, you don't try to earn the Father's love anymore. We realize that that's not even possible, that we are broken and, and people that we need God to rescue us. It's why Jesus came into the world. And that's a unique proclamation among the world religions and philosophy. There's no earning your way to God. And instead, out of that identity, then yes, like Jason mentioned, we do learn to obey. We say, because God has done all these things, we respond in obedience. And Paul is saying, look, first first statement, live a life worthy of the calling you've received. And so the commands flow out of what God has done and who you already are. And so what you're trying to do is align your life with those realities. Does that make sense? That order really matters. And and you know what? It's not simple to live a life worthy of the calling we've received. 
this week I was reminded of that because of a conflict I had with Carissa and we had to work some stuff out and we reconciled and it was good. But there were some pain points where you go, man, like I am not doing this the way the Lord would want me to be doing this, right? So live a life worthy of that calling because that's, that's what Paul invites us into. That's what our true identity is. And so yes, there's times where you need to reconcile. There's times when you need to ask and give forgiveness. That's part of it. Now, he roots these commands though. So love and patience and, and walking worthy of that calling in unity. Look at this in verses four through six. This is really key. Paul says, do all those things. Why? Because there's one body and one spirit. Just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Paul is very clear here of the oneness that that he's inviting us into. He reminds us of seven different ones here, if you didn't catch them. Spirit, hope, body, Lord, faith, baptism, and God and Father. And in the Hebrew mind, Seven repetitions of one is, is this wholeness and this completion. When you see that seven, that you know is like Paul is trying to think of all the most important things. There's probably other oneness aspects, but he's trying to have a double, uh, he's kind of emphasizing it in an extra way, right? Look at all the oneness. There is one body. And that means there's one universal church across the globe at any time who believe in Jesus. That is the one body that you have been called into. There's only one Holy Spirit, a real person of God, and that Holy Spirit lives in us, dwells in those who profess Jesus as Lord and Savior. There is one hope, that is the gospel, so not any attempts at earning God's favor, but trusting that he's already done it on our behalf. That is our hope, that he is rescuing us and he will continue to do so. There is one Lord. We talk about Jesus being Lord over everything. There is one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father. And so Paul is trying to remind us that, that we are supposed to be united because of that oneness. That oneness, and, and how often in a world that, that is wanting to divide, wanting to go its own directions, Paul is saying, no, 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 look at all the oneness, and all we're trying to do is align our lives with those realities. Now, here's where I want us to go pretty deep here. Uh, it's in this second section of gifts, uh, what we're calling apest, and you'll catch it here in a moment. But w- we need to dive into this because this is the evidence of how we're made for more. So out of all the identity, look at what Paul says, verse seven, but to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and he gave gifts to people. What does he ascended mean except that he that also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. All right, that gets a little tricky. All right, we got a lot going on there. So we're gonna try to pause that and and go back a little bit. So verses seven and eight, the word gifts and grace are linked. They're linked. So Paul hasn't yet said, he's about to, what those gifts are, but the gifts are a grace directly from Christ, he says. And what he does is he quotes an Old Testament prophecy, this messianic prophecy that speaks of Jesus. It's Psalm 68, 18. And Paul roots that prophecy in Jesus' ascension. So look what it says in verses nine through 10, right? He speaks of the descension and the ascension. So what does it mean that Christ descended? It speaks of the time that that it's the incarnation. One of Jesus' closest friends, John, said this. He said, the eternal word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. 
And so Jesus, who always existed, was with the Father and with the Son in eternity past, at one point decided to actually come as a human, as a person, and descend to the earth, right? So this is the descension that Jesus would actually become a human being and submit himself, the almighty God, to do that. And so out of the riches of heaven, he goes and descends into the lower regions and Jesus was a pooping baby. That's how he started life, right? He was a real human, not a fake one, not a kind of human, but a real human. And the incarnation is the embodiment of this rescue mission that God was putting in motion. And so Jesus lives his life and he walks that life to giving it up on the cross. He said, no one takes his life from him, but he gives it up. So he submitted to death, and then he thankfully rose from the grave. That's why we're in this room, is that Jesus did not stay dead, but he rose from the grave. And instead of just doing that and immediately ascending, he actually stuck around for about 40 days, and he actually appeared to his disciples. Sometimes it was just one, sometimes it was multiple, sometimes it was even in the dozens and even over 100 people on some occasions, right? And so Jesus starts to prove that he really was alive and he sticks around for a bit. But here's the thing he also promised. And he did this in his earthly life and he did it again when he's appearing to people. He told them that there was a better way. That there was a better way than him remaining on the earth, which is wild to think about. Right, like all, anyone who follows Jesus be like, dude, I would love to be like walking next to Jesus for a few days, like physically, right? That makes sense? Jesus says, you know what? There's actually something better. And it was the two-part combination of giving his Holy Spirit to anyone who follows Jesus. And then it's what we're about to talk about with Apest. He says, there's two basic things that this is the combination that makes it better that I would go. And then he actually ascends back into heaven. So bottom line here, Jesus comes out of heaven, that's the, that's the incarnation, he descends. And then he does choose to go back up into heaven because the only way the Holy Spirit would come is if he ascended. That's what he said. All right, now, uh, has anyone checked out yet? Can I see some hand raisers? Like, just, you know, hey, this is crazy. All right, so here's what we're gonna do because, you know, we just, we need to wake you up, all right? Come back, okay? I get it. I know that was really heady stuff. I'm like, whoa, what are we doing, folks? So listen up. Don't miss this verse. Here we go. Here's where Paul's been building to you in verse 11. It says, so Christ himself gave the apostles, gave the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. Would you say that with me? It says, so Christ gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers. Gave is tied to gifts. Gifts is tied to apest, which is apostle, prophet, evangelist, another term for pastors, actually shepherd. Okay, so that's where we get the S from. So apest, right? His gift giving is what? It's you. (laughs) It's me. And it's us. Like the gifts are us. And this should shock us. Right? Like, like I think too often we're bored because we don't get the equation. Like Jesus said he's gonna ascend and he gives these gifts. So it's first and foremost, the Holy Spirit in us, right? That, that is the primary gift. But, but his plan is to send us with the Holy Spirit as his gift to each other and to a broken and hurting world. This is his combination. You individually and we collectively are the gift, And that gift is then expressed to each other and to the world. And he says, for what purpose? Look how he continues. Let me read it again. So Christ gave himself the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up 
until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Paul ties all of this together, right? Why is APEST important? Uh, because it's for the equipping of works of service. It's so that the body w- would be built up and strengthened. He uses a body metaphor and analogy, right? He says that unity in what? In the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God. This is not information about the Son of God. Think relationship type of knowledge when you know a spouse or when you know a close friend, right? So the knowing, that's the type of knowledge Paul is referring to. It results in maturity. So people grow up. We're no longer infants. We grow up. And the result is the fullness of Christ. Would you say that out loud with me? The fullness of Christ. Man, this is huge stuff. Uh, So one of the leading uh, kind of missional people in in the world and happens to live in our country in LA, he's originally from uh, Australia, a guy named Alan Hirsch. He remarks that when we discuss the topic of APEST, we are at a matrix moment. And we're at the matrix moment when Morpheus offers Neo the blue or red pill. If you remember that moment in that iconic movie, Morpheus says this. He says, after this, there's no turning back. You take the blue pill, the story ends. You wake up in your bed, you believe whatever you wanna believe. You take the red pill and you stay in Wonderland and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. Remember, all I'm offering is the truth. I believe that many of us take the blue pill and I would say the blue pill is simply settling for a nice Christian life, right? It's saying, hey, I'll stand, I'll kneel, I'll pray some and I'll go this way and that and I'll kind of do my life however. Uh, I'll, have, I'll develop some rhythms of personal piety. Maybe I'll give a little bit. I'll do a little bit, a little bit and make sure I'm nice to people, right? Uh, it's the Mr. Rogers form of Christianity. Uh, and the blue pill leads to boredom and it leads to walking away. And it leads to, uh, it's just a lame narrative, right? It's not compelling enough. It's not worth giving our life for to come to a place and to go home and kind of do things however. It's not why this church was birthed uh, because we believe that God has something more. So the encouragement this morning is don't take that pill. (laughs) Like don't live that way. Instead, Jesus already offered the red pill. He already offered, he's already done it. He is saying these things aren't dependent on us. Like he's already given the Holy Spirit. He's already birthed this reality called APES. It's already done. What we're doing is we're actually just aligning with what he wants to do in and through us. His immense grace to give broken people a calling into the front lines of the greatest mission ever given to make people like Jesus. And it results in the fullness of Christ being expressed. Like that's the fullness of the guy who did many, many miracles, who fed thousands, who had acts of powers, whose teaching overturned the Roman empire and continues to overturn lives every single day. We get to express the fullness of that guy. And some of us have missed that. And here's a great piece of the news is me as a vocational pastor, so this is my job, uh, guess what? I am no more and no less called into this mission than you. Like if there's one thing I would hope you'd get out of all of this is that we are all priests of the living God, that every single one of us has been equally gifted as Christ decides, as he apportioned it, and he's made you into a priest of the living God. And so that means you are a gift and it means you were made for more. Now, let me just make sure we're catching this. Um, I've been in a drawing phase lately, as you know, if you've been around here at Serve. So just real quickly, uh, hopefully this helps for all of you who like illustrations. 
All right, so as we continue to talk about Apest, what I believe we see here in this passage first is the ministry of Christ. The backdrop of it, when it says Christ ascended, is we have the ministry of Christ. And what that means is when we look at Apest, Jesus is the perfect embodiment of this. An apostle means a sent one. There is nothing more sent than the incarnation, right? The son of God coming out of heaven to be sent and to rescue people in this world. He was the perfect apostle. Jesus was also a prophet, as it mentions there. Jesus overturned tables, right? And he, more than that, he foretold, said things that could only be known by the knowledge of, of God given to him. Uh, and he also foretold, he also, so foretelling is in the future. Foretelling is calling God's people back. That's what prophets do. They say, wait a minute, I listen to God and I do what God's saying and, and we're missing it. That's the function of the prophet is to call people back. Jesus displayed and promoted the kingdom. We've been talking about that quite a bit. So both in words and in deeds, Jesus is proclaiming the reality of the kingdom. An evangelist is just saying, look, God is doing something in the world and you're invited, invited into it, right? That's the, the work of an evangelist. The shepherd, as we mentioned last week, who is Jesus? He's the good shepherd, right? He wants intimacy and connection and closeness with his people. He wants to speak his voice into your life and so that you can hear him and respond to him. And he was a phenomenal teacher, right? So Sermon on the Mount is maybe just a, a great uh, culmination of that example. Jesus constantly taught people and brought about the wisdom of God into people's lives. So in the ministry of Christ, we see the perfect and full embodiment of Apest. But what Jesus does here and what Paul is telling us he does here is look, he transfers that into the body of Christ. And this little illustration is from our good friend, Alan Hirsch, all right? So I don't wanna take credit here, but uh, Apest is displayed through the ascension, right? So as he ascends, he pours out his Holy Spirit and he gives this Apest reality to the body of Christ. So no one fully uh, is like Jesus that, that, that is embodied in all of these aspects, but all of us have a unique gift, wiring, calling that is given to the body. And what is it supposed to do? We mentioned it here in the, the verses we've been camping on. The fullness of Christ is displayed. All right, this is an amazing reality, right? Jesus has given us so much authority, such a responsibility to steward, and that's what we're, we're doing. So for all of you Dr. Seuss fans, we have Mox, Box, Fox, all right? So there's Dr. Seuss for you. Uh, but I hope it's sticky because this matters. Uh, Paul closes up this section in verse 14. He says, then we'll no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become uh, in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. So Jesus is the head, we are his body. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. And so he simply just expands on the maturity and the reality of what's going on. We should have truth filling our minds. We are interconnected as the body does each, uh, each its own part. And it involves growing in love with each other, right? And with others. Paul continues with this body metaphor because we are interconnected to Jesus. It can't take place apart from him, right? But as we remain connected, we're doing that and we're becoming more healthy. 
That's what Paul is after. When we think of our own bodies, have you ever gotten food poisoning and then notice how your muscles begin to ache as well? We know that one part, when one part of the body begins to suffer, so do others. A toothache turns into a headache, right? We know some of those realities. More seriously though, is when our vitals shut down, we don't last, right? There are certain parts that have this higher functioning that, that we can't do without. Paul reminds us each part has to do its work. And so that's the invitation, That's the calling, that's the encouragement is that we need all of us living into all of our apex wiring to see our body grow. And so here's what we wanna do is actually take a step in that direction this morning. And so what I'd like for you to do, pull out a phone if you've got one. If you've got a smartphone, go ahead and pull that out. What we're gonna do is we're gonna invite the band to come up here in a moment. There's, we have free Wi-Fi here um, on Serve Guests. So I want you to pull up this uh, website, if you will, the top one. It says fivefoldsurvey.com. Can, anyone, can everyone pull that up? And uh, what it is, is a simple diagnostic. Okay, it's not a test, all right? It's just a diagnostic. And what it's gonna do through these 80 questions, we're gonna take a, mo- a moment, band's gonna play a song, and we're gonna have you pull that up. And we'd love to see what your APES wiring is. So you're going to kind of have a top score. So just answer the questions as best you can, straightforwardly as you can. Don't, uh, you know, kind of second guess yourself. It's all good, all right? Uh, and what we're going to do is we're going to see your top wiring and your secondary wiring. So go to fivefoldsurvey.com, take that diagnostic. Then when you finish it, go to that second one, the pole EV, and you're going to have two questions. What's your top wiring? What's your second wiring? All right, so this is real simple. And what we're trying to do is set us on a trajectory for the rest of this series by actually pausing for a moment and making sure we're getting better understanding of what our APES wiring might be. So band, take, the, take a moment over, go ahead and rock that diagnostic with us. Right. So hopefully that's helpful. I know some of you might be still on it, but hopefully catching up. Uh, again, use that second website to just send us your results when you get a chance. Um, and uh, yeah, really thankful for that. Uh, and here's where we're going. The rest of this series is going to be kind of unpacking these in greater depth. Okay, so that's really where we're headed. Um, and what I want to offer as you guys are closing up, just a few last thoughts on APES that can hopefully confirm your diagnostic um, and actually say, hey, is that right? Because sometimes we can take a quiz or a test or whatever, and it's like, ah, I'm not sure that's really resonant. Me. I'm not even sure what that means yet. So I want to give you just a little bit further coaching in that uh, so that we can see what APES looks like. All right. Uh, so here, here's what I want to say. If you have, an, if your top score was an A wiring, all right, if you're an A, what I want to give is you some motivating questions for people who have apostolic wiring. All right. And so one of those main questions would be this. Are we leading God's people into their destiny as sent ones? Right? People who have an apostolic wiring, an apostolic calling, are, are wanting to say, man, like where, where are God's people supposed to head? And how do we help them get there? Uh, this is really about new kingdom efforts, pioneering new things, new churches, new groups, new things that we say, man, God wants to take new ground. And how do we help God's people go there? Right, that's the apostolic calling. Oftentimes, they're entrepreneurial. They're they're desiring uh, to kind of they want the open space without lots of guardrails. Right, and apostolic wiring uh, are people who are doing those sorts of things and who are motivated by those sorts of things. All right, so that's the A wiring. The P wiring is are God's people hearing His voice, and are they actually responding obediently? Like, are they hearing God's voice and are they responding obediently? 
people who are uh, wired in the prophetic as a top gifting is simply they, they love oftentimes just spending time with the Lord, just sitting with him and listening to him. They are, happen to be oftentimes truth tellers. They want to know if God is in this or not, because if it's not, they want no part in it, right? Oftentimes, uh, those who are wired high in the peas are, are uh, highly motivated by issues of justice, right? Like issues of people who are marginalized, impoverished, uh, human trafficking, things of those natures. They say, man, God wants to do something to change the direction of that. That is evidences of a P wiring. Those who are high wirings in the evangelists, as evangelists, they are concerned with this question. Are new people entering into the kingdom of God? are new people beginning to profess Jesus as Lord and Savior. They are pining and praying over and longing connect to connect with people uh, who don't yet know Jesus. And they have this longing for the church to be reminded that we have this outward focused moving mission. What do we need to do to make that happen? That's what the evangelist is thinking about, praying about, and encouraging the church about. Shepherds are those who are saying, they're asking this question, are God's people caring for and showing compassion for people. Like what type, so, so if the evangelist is saying, man, we wanna bring people in, the shepherd is saying, okay, great. What are we bringing them into? Because <laughs> if what we're bringing them into doesn't matter, like I don't really want a part of it, right? God's people are, should be inspired to care and serve and love and tangibly meet the needs and burdens of others. They are screaming, we want spiritual family together. That's what a good shepherd is thinking about, praying about and longing for. And the teachers amidst us are, are God's people immersing themselves in scripture and then are they incarnating it, right? It's not just about information. It's about hearing the truth of scriptures and, and living that out together. They want God's people to be a people who are rich in hearing the word and acting it out. And teachers help to bring, again, the, the wisdom of God to bear into the local context. So as we take a look at these together, when you see all, all five of them put up here, what, what question grabs you the most? Like if all of these matter, by the way, so if you haven't caught that up, <laughs> every single one of these is part of the health of a good, thriving church, both locally and then globally. These are all aspects that, that, that God's people should embody, right? So none of them are, are better than another one. They are all needed. But each of us are gonna be more drawn to say, wow, like that question motivates me. That one right there, hearing God better. Uh, I'm personally wired up as an A as a, with an apostolic wiring and, and teaching. Those are kind of my top two wiring. And so those two things really motivate me to want to do ministry. Every one of you have been wired uniquely and you are motivated to do ministry out of that wiring and calling. And so over the next four weeks, we're gonna step into each of these unpacking. I know today might be like that fire hose moment of like, whoa, what is all this? My hope is that you would be encouraged and inspired to come back and lean in more deeply, that you would be encouraged and inspired to say, man, if I'm if my top wiring's a P and an E, like, tell me more. How do I grow in those things? What, what does that really mean? Where do we see the examples in scripture? How is this thing already played out? And how does God wanna play it out in my life? That's the hope of the next four weeks because the last few words, you were made for more. And we as a church cannot be fully unleashed to be the church most fully 
unless we're all doing this. We have these individual wirings, but we actually need everyone to stir each other up to do what we're supposed to be doing. We need apostles who are dreaming and praying and helping to dream up new kingdom works, get them off the ground so that we might see more people come to faith in Christ. We need prophets who are saying, we need to listen and obey what God is showing us. We need truth tellers, right? We need evangelists who are inspiring people to share their faith and to to not be timid about that in a culture that more and more people are saying, yeah, I'm not sure about that whole sharing faith thing, right? We need people stirring us up, strengthening us to do that. We need shepherds who say, man, there are tangible needs in our midst right now and we must care for them and we need teachers who are helping guard us in truth and increasing our wisdom. We need all of us to express the fullness of Christ and that is some of the beauty of the church. You Thanks for checking in to the Serve Community Church podcast. If you're interested in more information on how to connect with our community, feel led to support us in any way you can or have any further questions, check us out online on social medias like Facebook or Instagram or at our website at servecc.org.